creation is currently caught up in continuous conflict. Now, at least from the time of the returning remnant from Babylonian captivity, some 500 years before the birth of the Savior Messiah in Bethlehem, all the way up to now, God's people who are steeped in his word have interpreted passages in both Isaiah and Ezekiel that were given in the late 8th and early 6th centuries before Christ as describing the origins of this conflict. And I'll let you look them up on your own. But God's people know that to survive and thrive in this conflict, they need to draw near to him and dwell in his presence. And let me give you a few instances. As Moses was speaking his very last prophetic words to all the tribes of Israel, he said that God's people will dwell in safety in him. When we are in him, we are safe, in other words. Now, the musician prophet Asaph, meaning he will add, declared, as for me, the nearness of God is my good, and I have made Adonai Yahweh my refuge. And then we'll go back to Moses one more time. Yahweh said through Moses, I will walk among you, you all, and I will be your God, and you all will be my people. It's all about this close relationship with God. So from this, we can conclude that the way to have victory in this conflict, which is raging all around us, even if we're not aware of it, it's happening. It comes from living in the presence of God, in the presence of the Lord. Now, in Jesus' principal parable today, he describes the work of the enemy of sowing his sons as poisonous weeds in the midst of the good wheat, the good wheat seeds of Jesus's sons that he, Jesus, has sown into this world. And in this, he later declares, as he's interpreting it, speaking in the third Person, the Son of Man sows good seed. Now, our complimentary psalm this morning is also a testimony to the blessedness of living in the presence of God where He dwells. So now, let's investigate God's Word to know Him better, and we'll start 
in the Matthew passage. There's two halves to this message. And the first is Jesus telling three parables about the kingdom of God. Now, the longest one is about a man who had sown good seed in his field, and then the enemy sows weeds among it. So let's go through it item by item, just as Jesus told it. And he put before them another parable, the kingdom of the heavens, and it's interesting, that is in the plural, has been made like a man having sown good seed in his field. But when all the men were sleeping, so obviously he had a large farm and many servants helping him with this farm. They were all asleep. The enemy came and sowed weeds in the middle of the wheat and went away. So we get from this that the farmer and his men had sowed only good wheat seeds in the field. But late at night, with everyone asleep, the enemy came, and what did he do? He planted seeds of a noxious weed. Now, I have some notes in my study Bible, and it would be like something called Darnell. Okay? He sowed that in there, and this Darnell seed, it looks every bit like a wheat seed. And even when it grows, it's kind of hard to tell the difference, although you can figure it out. And the problem with this is that many people who would eat it thinking it was wheat, they would become as if they were heavily intoxicated. It may not kill a person, but it will make them wish they were dead. It's bad stuff, okay? Now, when the blade sprouted and was made into grain, the, the servants, the ones who were tending to this, noticed that Darnell also appeared. It also appeared. So what's going on here? We've got wheat seeds and the poisonous Darnell seeds, and both have grown up and produced grain all mixed up together. So then Jesus continues, the servants of the housemaster, having approached, said to him, Lord, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then has come this Darnell? So what we have going on here is how did this happen? When the servants discover the poisonous Darnell with the wheat, they question him about the quality of his seed. But the way they ask the question, they know full well that there was only good seed sown in the first place. That's what their master did. But they're just wondering How did these weeds get there? And their master said to them, an enemy man did this. But the servants were saying to him, then do you desire us having gone out into your field to pull them up? So they get an answer from their master, which results in a further question. 
You see, the housemaster farmer now tells them that a man who is his enemy has planted these poisonous weeds. And so they offer to go out into the field and to pull up the poisonous weeds and get rid of them right now. Why wait? But then it concludes, he is answering the master farmer, no, that not as you are gathering the poisonous weeds, you should root up together with them the wheat. You all must permit both to grow together until the harvest. And in the harvest time, I will tell the harvesters first, You all must gather the poisonous weeds and you all must tie them in bundles to be burned. But then you all must gather together the wheat into my barn. So in order to protect the wheat from being harmed by rooting up the poisonous weeds, the owner the master farmer, he will allow them both to grow together. But then he will first command his harvesters. So apparently some of his servants planted, sowed, cultivated, others harvested to gather the poisonous weeds to burn them. And finally, he will command his harvesters to gather wheat into his barn, the end. That's the parable as Jesus told it. Now, he also told two short parables about a mustard seed and leaven. And I'll admit it right here and now. I didn't dig deeply into these. These are highly complicated, even though they're short. So I will just go through them quickly and come back to the main parable. But Jesus put forth to them another parable saying the kingdom of the heavens is being like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man having taken sowed in his field, which indeed is being the least of all seeds. But when it has been grown is being the greatest of garden plants and is becoming a tree. So the birds of the air come to nest in its branches. And only this morning did I realize, again, I get these texts from um, a narrative lectionary that some seminary professors put together. There's birds in this mini parable, and of course there's birds that find their nest in the house of the Lord, which we will get to very soon. So this smallest Seed planted grows into the greatest garden plant and actually becomes a tree. And then um, it's so big that birds can come and build their nests in it. And I think I'll just leave it there for now. That's the parable. And then he spoke finally another parable to them. The kingdom of heavens is being like leaven or yeast, which a woman having taken hid three measures of wheat flour until the whole was leavened. Now, is this good or bad? I've got study Bibles. I've read commentaries and people will say both. But let me say this much about it. In Luke's gospel, 
A chapter before he gave this parable, he has Jesus talking with the Pharisees who were opposing him, and he says, leaven is hypocrisy. That's not good. And then the apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Corinth, equated leaven with malice and wickedness as opposed to sincerity and truth. I've come so that I believe in, and, uh, you know, one of my interpretation professors say, we can never be 100% sure on some of these things. So I'm probably about 75% convinced that Jesus is saying this leaven, especially in the context, it's not good. It's similar to the poisonous weeds. I think he's tying these things together into one theme. And then the Holy Spirit concludes this section of the gospel portion saying, all these things Jesus spoke in parables to the multitudes. And without a parable, he was speaking nothing to them. That it might be fulfilled having spoken through the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables and will forcefully announce things which have been kept hidden from the foundation of the world. So what's happening here? Continual speaking in parables. And, And this is very interesting Parables are not as simple as some people say they are. They're nice, straightforward stories. But to really understand what's being said is not easy. In fact, parables themselves hide God's truth from those who don't have ears to hear. And that will be our last word this morning. Jesus admonishes people, make sure your ears hear. Now, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy by a musician prophet. If you look up Psalm 78, you'll see that Asaph was inspired to write this psalm that Jesus says he is fulfilling. So there's prophecy even in the psalms. And if you remember when we were in Chronicles, David appointed Asaph as one of the musician leaders for Solomon's temple when it would be built after David was gathered to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit in that very same uh, passage calls Asaph a prophet. In fact, much prophecy comes through music and musicians. Now, Jesus said this had been hidden and it's now being revealed. You see, over time from Moses in the Torah all the way to John in the apocalypse, the revelation at the end, God revealed more and more of himself in scripture. This is called technically progressive revelation. Well, now... We're going to combine both the gospel passage here and as Jesus explains the parable to the 12 with the very um, benefits that are gotten from coming away from the crowds to spend some intimate time with God. So we'll stay in Matthew for one more verse. And the verse is this. 
Having left the crowd, Jesus went into a house and his disciples came to him with this demand. You must explain to us the parable of the poisonous weeds in the field. Now, if you go through the Gospels, you'll see this. And I remember I was a two-year-old Christian talking with an older man in the church I was attending and, and just visiting him and getting to know him. And I remember saying, it always amazes me, and I don't quite understand why Jesus would explain the full meaning of things to the 12 that he wouldn't say to the crowds as a whole. But that's what's going on here. When he got alone and he was intimate with his 12 chosen disciples, he was ready to tell them the deeper meaning. But before we go there, let's look at our psalm because it is about intimacy with God in his presence, just as Jesus was intimate with the 12 at this moment after he had given that confusing parable. So let's now go and turn ourselves to Psalm 84 and consider it. We'll take it line by line again. How beloved are thy dwelling places, Yahweh Sabaoth. My soul longs and is even consumed in the courts of Yahweh. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. So the psalmist is saying the courts of Yahweh's temple are beloved because he is there. They are now fully in God's presence. Now, this is an individual who is longing for and consumed with being in God's presence. And his body and his soul give ringing, singing cries of joy to the God who is eternally living. The living God is how he's described. And now the next line is about birds. Even the bird has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself in which she has laid her young. Your altars, your altars, Yahweh Sabaoth, my king and my God. So the temple of God and his altars even provide a home for birds and their young. Now, the first half goes back to where it began, but expands the field. Blessed with happiness are those dwelling in thy house. They are ever praising thee, Selah. Again, nobody's sure what it means, but I think the best explanation of it is meditate on this truth. Meditate on it. Don't just run by it and and try to read the next line. Dwell here for a moment, people. So now the psalmist is including the whole family and community of God's people in the blessing of happiness coming from living with God. And because they are all blessed by the covenant God, Yahweh, 
the God of hosts. That's what Sabaoth means. The hosts of his army. They perpetually praise him. You see, this is the result of living in the presence of God. Perpetual praise to him. Okay. Then we move on to the second half of our passage. Blessed with happiness is the man whose strength is in thee. In their heart are the highways. So each man who finds his strength in Yahweh is blessed with happiness. And then other men who have their hearts... um, They're on the highways, and these highways are leading to Jerusalem and the house and the presence of their God. And then we're told that as they're going through the valley of Baca, which means weeping or tears, they will make it a place of springs. And even the early rain will cover it in blessings So on their way to be with God as pilgrims, they're going through a valley of weeping. But this valley of weeping becomes springs. And then the spring rains will come down and provide blessing to these pilgrims of God. And then the portion of the psalm we heard this morning concludes with this. They go from strength to strength. In Zion, they will appear before the God of gods. And remember, all other gods are just false and vain gods. So they have strength together in God. In a group, gathering God's strength from one another. Now, God strengthens each one. They're also strengthening each other with the strength they have received, and they appear before their God in his presence in Zion. And it's only been in the last couple of months that I've looked up what Zion means. It's ironic. It means a parched place. But isn't it interesting? They built the temple to God in a parched place. And that is where they can be filled with the living water from being in his presence. So with that background about the joy and the blessings of intimacy with God, let's see what Jesus revealed about this parable when he was alone with his disciples. He explains the meaning of this longest parable to his chosen disciples. And again, that's always amazed me how he did that, how they were blessed. Wouldn't we just love to be in that room even once? So we're told Jesus answered them. The one sowing the good seed is the son of man. So Jesus refers to himself in the third person as he is God in human flesh. And I don't have it in the sermon outline, but just recently, remember, you can see that in the prophecy given to Daniel. 
So what can we say here? The son of man, he's the one who sowed the good seed. But the field is the world. The good seed are those who are being sons of the kingdom. But the poisonous weeds are sons of the evil one. So he gives three more meanings here of what's in his parable. The field is the world. And this means all of the various ethnic groups on earth. Again, remember, the call of Abraham, the sevenfold blessing, was that ultimately in the seed of Abraham, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Now he says, the sons of the kingdom. Through the son of man, Jesus, people can become children in God's kingdom. We don't have to stay trapped in our sinfulness. But then he talks about the sons of the evil one. Those who are not in Jesus, let us never forget, are still under the control of the evil one, and he will do all he can to plant his dangerous and disruptive people among God's people to make them less fruitful. And then Jesus continues, the enemy who sows them is the devil, which means slanderer. Now, I just started reading Job this week, and the slanderer is always speaking ill of God's people, even face-to-face with God when he said, Job's not really righteous. He will curse you. Now, the harvest will be when Jesus comes to the earth the second time for the final judgment. And the last symbol that he explains in this parable is that the angels are the harvesters at the end of the age. Who are angels? They are created spirit beings who stayed loyal to God their creator, when the devil rebelled and he took some one-third of the spirit beings with him who turned into demons in their rebellion against the creator. That's one of the sources of this conflict we are eternally living with in this age. And then Jesus continues, As he gathers the poisonous weeds and in the fire they are being burned, now he interprets the parable. So it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all obstacles. The word here is scandal. And those doing lawlessness and they will be thrown into the furnace of fire, and it will be there, bitter wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, this is interesting, okay? We have to be careful of human doctrines. So unlike the doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture 
We're hearing here that when Jesus comes, he will not call up his people before the judgment, but first his angels will gather out of the kingdom all of those who are continuing in rebellious disobedience. And they will be cast into an eternally burning furnace to experience bitter, ongoing pain. Now, this is one of those truths I wish God didn't tell us. But as I was praying, if we know God, we need to know this. And we need to not just take for granted that we are right with God. We should desire that everybody would have the opportunity to be made right with God because the alternative is unthinkable. And then Jesus concludes, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The one having ears, he must hear. So people who become righteous, as the faithful son of man gives to them faith in him to be their savior and their Lord by grace through the Holy Spirit so that they can call God their father. What a privilege to call God our father as Jesus does. Then through Jesus, we will be eternally living in the presence of God. What could be better? And then his last admonition and conclusion, and we should take it to heart. Jesus concludes that all who hear with faith receive by grace and act by grace through faith on what they have heard will shine like the sun in God's presence forever. So let us hear And let us act on what we hear. And no matter what's happening now and what conflict we're experiencing, we have the word of God through his son, Jesus. We will shine with God throughout eternity. So let's wrap it up. Through parables, Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God in conflict with the evil one who seeks to corrupt the children of God by planting his own evil children in their midst. But when Jesus was alone with his chosen 12, he said he will allow this conflict until the end of the age when he will first bind up the children of evil and burn them in constant anguish. But his children who were cultivated by him through his workers, his servants, throughout this conflict, they will shine with him forever. They will enjoy his presence without any more conflict. And they will be praising him for all eternity as we heard in our psalm. So let us always be living in the presence of of God and then acting on our knowledge of him and the joy we have through knowing we belong to him.